Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my friend, and welcome back or welcome to Catch Up with Louise McSharry. If this is your first time listening, this is a podcast where we try and get you caught up in the week and get you all prepared for the weekend um, or indeed any time of your life, whenever it is you're listening, uh, just in case you felt like tuning out of the news and showbiz and life in general. It's a feeling that I empathize with entirely. Um, I hope you're feeling good this week. Hope you've had a good couple of weeks. Um, last week, obviously, I was um, off. I, I say that with air quotes because you're never really off, are you? I mean, it just doesn't happen in this life. Um, but I was so grateful for all of the amazing feedback that I got about the conversation myself and Holly Cairns had at the Sugar Club, which obviously I put out as an episode last week. Um, Holly's just great and I found it really galvanizing and empowering and um, I've heard from so many people who said the same thing so if you haven't listened to it if you skipped it because you thought well it's not a normal episode it might still be worth listening to um I think it's it's really worth it uh Holly's just amazing basically in short um yeah other than that it's been a, it was nice to have a bit of downtime I did have two days where I actually did nothing last week which I just really needed and I feel like a person again which is great because I was reaching a point where I did not feel like a person and I thought maybe things were going to go very badly for me um but yeah anyway it's uh, I'm feeling much better after having a little bit of downtime and I did have a lovely time I was at another lovely family wedding which was lots of fun um I had a lovely day out with the my management company um in Eden One in Ballsbridge if you haven't been there well I mean I think most people haven't been there because it's a like it's a health club basically so you join and the membership is look it's not cheap but if I lived nearby I think I would scrounge the money together because it's such a beautiful place to be so relaxing we all had lovely treatments there's a lovely pool there's like you know you can have lunch there I think I would if I lived closer I would probably join and like go and like do my work there during the day I'm obsessed um so yeah I had a lo- lots of lovely things and then I did actually manage to watch some tv got caught up mostly on my bravo shows and I watched a new 
show, which I absolutely loved, which I will tell you at the end when I do my recommendations, um, because I was delighted that I actually found something that was worth telling you about. Um, just a little reminder, there are bonus episodes on the Patreon. If you want to check them out, you can. Um, most recent one was a um, culture one with Sophie White. Uh, she and I discussed Lewis Capaldi's documentary. Um, and I also do a mailbag episode every month, which is going to be coming out next week. So I would ask you, because I think I've been kind of lax about reminding you guys about the voice note number so if you do have any thoughts or opinions if there's anything you'd like to hear my opinion on it's kind of like an ask me anything I suppose in many ways like I'll respond to anything within reason um you just need to send a little voice note to 089-209-6423 that's 089-209-6423 and then once a month I respond to those voice notes. So it might be feedback on what we've talked about. It might be a suggestion of something I should talk about. Um, it might be something that you're just experiencing that you'd love to hear my take on. Or indeed, if you have a question for me about honestly anything, I'll answer it. So 089-209-6423. I love to hear your voices. Like genuinely, I love it. Um, now though, let's just get into things and let's get going because actually all of the conversations this week are quite long. Um, it just is the way that it went. And we'll start with the gorgeous Aoife Moore catching us up on the news. Aoife Moore, what a joy it is to be back once again with you to catch up on the week's news after a week's break. How how did it feel to have a week I off? Felt, I felt so lost. I woke up at the regular time, like Christmas morning, went down looking for Santa and she was not at my door. <laughs> I know it was weird. I, I, I did. I needed it, though. It was good for me. I yes. think. I mean, I'm sure as your best pal, I'm glad about your mental health, but I was lost. So <laughs> who's the real victim here? Well, we're back now and we have got lots of news to talk about, as always. And um, I felt very much on the back foot, actually, when I was putting these stories together Same. because I was like, oh, I wasn't paying attention last week. I don't know. Am I missing something major? So we're just going to do what we do and hopefully we'll cover what the people want to hear. Um, let's start with this situation with supermarket prices. Um, basically, they're too, they're too dear, Louise. Well, they are. And we all know that. But they're apparently not in line with inflation. So what no. what's the conversation happening within the government? Okay, so there has been um, a lot of talk about inflation when it comes to food. The ECB said this week that a lot of the inflation was actually driven by profiteering from food companies. Mm. And we know that food is getting like a lot more expensive. So there's this um, forum called the Retail Forum who met actually on Wednesday. Mm. And it's through all the stakeholders and the government. And they had a discussion about the price of food and retail and all that sort of stuff in the in the crux of the cost of living crisis now in france and spain they have put price caps on essentials okay. because it's um they say they can do it within european legislation because it's an emergency mm-hmm. ireland has not done that and today the Taoiseach said that we would not be doing that because they have not seen adequate evidence that it actually does the right thing in those countries right so there was a forum on wednesday and so neil richmond who is the minister of state for retail he said um it is quite clear that many families and workers are struggling with increased costs at the supermarket checkout we've seen price cuts come to butter milk and bread and these are to be welcomed he said he had received assurances from retailers that the input costs filter through to products consumers will benefit from this. Now, obviously, there are people like the Social Democrats, Sinn Féin, 
people for profit who are saying, listen, we can't leave this up to the market. It's not good enough. Um, you know, people are going hungry. We know about child food poverty. Food poverty has been an issue in Ireland for a very long time. Child food poverty has been an issue. And I would also point out, we are coming into the summer. Mm. There is not going to be any schools. Mm. A lot of school is where most or a lot of children who live in food poverty get their only hot meal mm-hmm. every day. Mm. So there's a lot of concern about this. So the Taoiseach said on Wednesday that they had received advice from the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission, and they said that they shouldn't bring in price controls. Mm. They said that it could drive up inflation. They said in Spain uh, it was abandoned because the impact it would have on small retailers and retailers in rural areas mm. that will require higher margins to get by. Now, the opposition is arguing, well, you don't have to do it in small retailers. You don't have to do it in like, independent family businesses. We could just, if Ireland was to do it, we could do it in just big retailers, Tesco's, yeah. LA, Lidl, those sorts Dons, of things. Yeah. Um, the government very much said that there's not a lack of it. There's a lack of evidence, but they have not published the advice yet so Sinn Féin have asked them to publish the advice um and then there's been a kind of jiggery pokery because Holly Cairns in the doll asked would they the government specifically ask the retailers in the forum to bring the prices down and ask them what their profits were Mm. and Neil Richmond said yes absolutely we would but then it turned out that the meeting they had in the forum is something called Chatham House Rules where it's in private right so even though Neil Richmond wasn't lying, he said that he would ask them what happened in that meeting is not public. Right. So we actually don't know what their profits are going to be. We don't know. So for me and for most people, I'm sure here listening to this and like for me, it comes down to like food poverty and children. And if it is like the ECB says, that's like the greed of big companies is driving inflation. That's not good enough. No. And also if there are children living in food poverty, so if the government aren't willing to like force companies and they you know doing these price caps, I think what they should be looking at or what most people will be looking for them to look at now is okay, we're not gonna do that. What about money or benefits or something for people who live in food poverty? Yeah. Especially children who live in food poverty, because yeah. you saw that during COVID, you saw you saw um, you know, free school meals over the summer, that sort of stuff. So I think coming into the summer, that's going to be the next thing because we know that so many people are pounding their collar now, they can't afford food. Yeah. And we've seen, you know, the Tesco are doing this incredibly strange thing where like groceries cost one thing, but if you have a club card, it's way cheaper, mm-hmm. which is to me, I think totally unfair. Mm-hmm. Like what if you don't, it's it's all to do with data and like people don't want to do that. So mm-hmm. yeah, I actually think this is going to go on. If there was any good news we saw today, the Tesco's and Aldi are going to cut the price of bread. So we saw it with butter last week. We're seeing it with bread this week. Mm. So they're going to cut it from, Tesco said, 800 grams of sliced pan will go from 99 to 89. Mm. Um, and Aldi said, <laughs> white brown and mega toast are going to go down from, um, yeah, go down by our 10 cents to 89 as well. Okay. And then whole meal will go down to 85 so things will go down. I think it's only through public pressure that the big companies are feeling the need to put their prices down. Yeah. 
But my big concern, I'm sure most people's big concern, would be kids coming yeah. into the summer now. Well, yeah, um, like you, I mean, you just can't possibly, like, I mean, it would be absolutely disgraceful if we were seeing supermarkets making absolutely enormous profits and children starving at the same time. Like, that would just be mm-hmm. sick. Not that it's not possible, but it would be sick. Um, okay, let's move on. This story is absolutely horrendous. Um, I, I actually story couldn't so believe it when I read it. Um, but I think a lot of people will have heard of it and I, I think they would like to know the kind of end result. So Yeah. So a man who a man who abandoned his two year old daughter at the side of the road to get revenge on his ex girlfriend has been jailed for three years. So the man can't be named because obviously to protect the child's identity. Yeah. But it was in Letter County, uh, Crown Court uh, Letter County Court in Donegal in August 2020, he took photos of the two-year-old, sent them to the child's mother, and drove off at five o'clock in the morning. The child was found crying cold and in a terrified state by two passers-by. The case, obviously, it happened in 2020, but it only came to court this week. Mm. The judge um, said it was obviously the higher end of the scale for such off- offences and said it exposed the child to significant risk of death and injury. And it was done in a fairly premeditated fashion. The man is in his 20s. Um, He pled guilty to the charge of child cruelty. And two men coming home from a bar in a night out in Letterkenny found the wee girl at the side of the road. She had socks, no shoes, was holding her bottle and she was standing at the the entrance of a construction site. It's so disgusting. Um, it's so two, disgusting. Like imagine being these poor drunk fellas as well. These two fellas sort of banging on the doors of local, like you know, the houses around the area, and thought the Wayne, sorry, thought the child <laughs> had walked out of the house. Um, every they lifted the kid. They walked to the, every house, banging on the door at five in the morning. Nobody in the street knew who the kid was. Mm. And then, um, eventually, the mommy phoned. Mm. the Garda station and said you know my ex had sent photos of my baby and I don't know where my baby is blah 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 she had left the child in the care of her father he had sent these photographs um he said so it came out in the court case then he had become jealous that his ex-partner had been out phoned the woman on at least 30 occasions threatened to abandon the child and at half in the morning he said he would leave the child if she didn't tell him where she was he woke her uh, up see- he woke her up. He woke up the little girl and brought her out. Like, it's disgusting. CCTV footage showed the man driving off after leaving the toddler. And when he was arrested by Gerdy, he told them, I don't even have to change my accent. He said, I I was expecting this silly thing. He admitted getting the child out of her bed, leaving her in Letter Kenny, saying his temper got the better of him. I was expecting um, this silly thing. Like, this man is an absolute scumbag. Like, the child's mother said in the court that the child still struggle, struggles to be around other people and will only stay with the mommy and her parents. And the man has not seen his daughter since. It's just um, like, it's it's so disgraceful. And like, he's been jailed for three years. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the things that were taken into account was that he entered an early plea, cooperated with the investigation. 
um, reduced the sentence to, it, like it said the offence merited a, a sentence of five years, reduced it to four years on the, the that basis and then suspended the final 12 months. So it's three years. And like, you know, we don't know how long he's going to he's gonna do with that. But the only thing I will say is that even though we don't know who this man is, everyone in that area knows who this man yeah, is. Yeah, like he will someone never... from the border, like Letter Kenny is like the next town over from Derry on one side of the border and like everyone knows. Yeah. And it's it's not that. It's just, I can't imagine your own flesh and blood. I wouldn't leave a two-year-old I didn't even know. Exactly. So I cannot imagine leaving a two-year-old that was my child. No. And I would point out, and I say this all the time when we hear stuff about this, like this, if a woman did this, she would be sectioned. Yeah. If it was a woman who had left her own child in the middle of the road in the middle of nowhere, she would be sectioned. She'd be considered insane. But as it's a man, they'd be like, well, ended an early plea. It was a jealous relationship. Well, yeah, but you could argue as well that like if a woman left her child on the side of the road, she probably would be mentally unwell because no mentally well woman mm. would do that. This yeah, man exactly. was mentally well and was having a fit of jealousy. Like it's pathetic um okay let's move on uh the stardust inquiry is happening at the moment and i know this is something that you're very well up on so i thought it would be yep. good to touch base with what actually is this inquiry what's the purpose of it and yep. there was some really moving kind of stuff that happened in it yeah, this the week portraits mm. okay yeah so this is something i think like i have quite close to my heart um i'm not from dublin but it's just something that i found um i really care about so um for those who aren't like completely across it on, on valentine's day in 1981 48 people died in the biggest fire disaster in the history of the state mm. it was in um a nightclub called the stardust it was in there's ar- there's arguments in the parish about where it is but it's between Artain and Coloch in the mm. north side of dublin and i think what you need to remember when you're listening to this is it was in the north side of the du- in dublin mm. and i think for many, many people, for many, many years, the feeling is that the families of these 48 people did not receive justice because they came from a working class area in mm. North Inner City, Dublin. Mm. Um, this week, it kicked off. It'll be the longest and biggest ever inquest in the history of the state. There is 48 victims and more survivors. And what is the purpose of, of the inquest? The inquest is to find out what happened um, and what happened, how the fire started, and the, the coroner said at the start, she may never be able to give a full, you know, answer, a full reenaction, full closure to these people. But this has been going on for since 1981. Well, yeah. So why has been a huge. Why is it happening now? So there had been an inquest very shortly after the initial yeah. fire, but the families of the victims did not accept. They said it was a whitewash and the finding was arson. Okay. Now, it, they said they didn't accept that. The, the finding of arson made every single one of those victims an arsonist to blame. Now, the other thing that has been found is that the the fire exits, the emergency exit of the yeah. nightclub were chained shut. Yeah. The toilet windows were glued shut. Mm. So there was no point of escape for people other mm. than the front door, mm. which is, I can't say this for certain. We don't know this for certain, but for a lot of the victims, they believe that's why a lot of people could not escape. Yeah. So the first inquest delivery said that it was arson, which is something the families all rejected and the witnesses always rejected. So if you listen to Antoinette Keegan, who lost her two sisters in the fire, mm. The initial inquest said that the fire started on a chair in the dan- on the dance floor. 
But all the witnesses say that couldn't have been possible because the ceiling fell down on top of them on the dance floor. So to them, it was very clear that the fire was in the roof. Mm. And there has always been a long-term debate over the Stardust. And in the last couple of years, the families and the people of the north side of Dublin fought for a new inquiry into the Stardust. They did not accept the first one, um, I think now the Attorney General at the time, he also agreed that it probably did not satisfy the families. It didn't satisfy um, the people involved. So the new inquest has started. It's going to be the longest inquest in the history of the state. Mm-hmm. It's going to take at least six months because there's 48 victims. So even though it's only started a couple of weeks ago, they have a pen portrait of every single victim, which is a profile that someone from their family reads out. Mm. about their life about their hobbies because in these sort of things the victim is always kind of forgotten because you just become a statistic when you know when you're like killed in this kind of accident like I know my family in Bloody Sunday Mm. you just become one of the 13 and you don't Mm. get your own personality Mm -hmm. so the pen portraits have been called out uh, read out this week so some of them are absolutely heartbreaking and I would point out it's not just a Dublin thing so Mm. A girl from Derry, an 18-year-old girl from Derry died in the Stardust. Two fellas mm. from Twinbrook and Belfast also died in the Stardust. Mm. Um, but it was a lot of 18, 19, 20-year-olds who were on a night out. Valentine's night, went to a disco mm. and just never came home. So this week, I think one of the most heartbreaking ones was Laura Lawler. So Laura Lawler's mommy and daddy both died in the Stardust when they were in their early 20s. She's known as the Stardust baby. Mm. She was orphaned by the Stardust. And she said this week, you know, it would be a wound that would never be healed. She said, I am the only child and the Stardust left me own in this world. Mm. Um, Her mommy was 23, her daddy was 25. And she just said, you know, it completely fucking ruined her life. Yeah, Her life is never the same. She's the Stardust baby. It's like, it's it's a moniker she never wanted. Mm. Um, But yeah, I think people would be seeing a lot of it in the papers in mm. the last couple of weeks but we're only at the pen portraits at the yeah. minute of the victims and it's going to get I think a lot more harrowing and mm. um, when it gets into witness statements the fire brigade yeah you know everything else but um what I have to say is like I know the families very well and what they always take away from it is the amount of public support that they have always got yeah from the Irish public and the Irish public have been behind them 100% they call it Ireland's Hillsborough yeah. Um. And yeah, I don't know if they're ever going to get the full closure that they want, but hopefully they'll get their something. Day. Yeah. yeah, they're getting their day in court. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Finally, let's talk about Donald Trump. Um, because I think a lot of people will know that this has been going on and that it has come to a conclusion, but maybe not the ins and outs of it. So, what's the story with this case against Donald Trump by E. Jean Carroll? I, I, like, I am lost forward this is the front runner for the republican candidacy of the president of america the nuclear codes he has been found liable for sexually abusing a journalist like one of many women i would say who've accused him of sexual assault yeah anyway sorry it's on one <laughs> yes so sorry 
On Tuesday, Donald Trump was, fought, was found liable for sexually abusing the advice columnist E. Jean Carroll in 1996. Mm. She claimed he raped her in Bergdorf Goodman, which is like a really fancy um, department store in New York. Mm-hmm. She said that she knew Donald Trump just from like being a New Yorker columnist. Mm. He brought her into the department store and said, I have to pick out um, a present for my girlfriend. Would you come with me? She said, absolutely no problem. Brought her in. He said, I want to look for lingerie. And she was like, fuck it, right, whatever. They went and and he she alleged that he raped her in the changing rooms of this department store. Mm. Um, she told a number of friends about it at the time. She kept the dress that she wore. Mm. She claims there's DNA on it. Donald Trump would not give a DNA sample. The New York brought in a new law a couple of years ago where adult survivors of sexual abuse could have a year from when they like first reported to press civil charges. Mm-hmm. So that's what she done. Mm. It went to civil trial. Donald Trump would not give evidence. He didn't attend. Um, and she he was found liable for sexual abuse, not rape, but mm. sexual abuse, and that he had defamed her because he called it a hoax. And like he basically said she had made up the story for clout. Yeah. So um, it it's... For most adult survivors of sexual abuse, it's a complete watershed moment, to be honest. Mm. The fact that it's Donald Trump obviously puts it on a different scale when it comes to publicity. Mm. But uh, he called the case the greatest witch hunt of all time, a disgrace. Um, but it's been validation for, for E. Jean Carroll. She is now the 13th woman, I believe, that has accused Donald Trump of rape. He has to pay her $5 million mm. for sexual abuse and um, defamation. I would actually, any of your readers, or any of your readers, any of your listeners, to watch the deposition. So Donald Trump wouldn't attend the trial, but he was deposed. So you know those grainy videos you see of someone sitting at a desk? So like Jeffrey Epstein did one, Bill Clinton did one. Mm. So it's like you're just recorded in your lawyer's office. Mm. Donald Trump did one, and her solicitor says, oh, yeah, you said that it must, it can't be true because she's not your type. And Donald Trump said, yeah, yeah, this doesn't happen. She's not my type. And he looked at her female lawyer and said, and you're not my type either, by the way. He's such a dickhead. Like, how can they, how, it's just, like, it is just unbelievable that he is still the Republican's choice. Do you know what I think is the most telling thing about it? Trump's lawyer when they announced when like when the verdict was wrong and by the way it was a jury verdict so mm. it wasn't a judge it was like men and a woman from new york mm. believed Eugene carl and when it was called out trump's lawyer shook hands with Eugene carl and hugged her lawyer wow like also the thing about Eugene carl's case was the judge allowed her to bring other women who claimed they had been raped by Donald Trump on the stand wow. as like what's that word like to add context or yeah. character or whatever yeah so there was a woman um who Jessica Leach she was a former stockbroker she said that Trump groped her on a plane in the mm. 1970s like this is a pattern of behavior and mm. she was allowed to bring other women to show that pattern yeah. of behavior mm. anyway five million dollars it's nothing to Donald Trump it will not damage him in any way but I think it is a a sign to all right-thinking people in the world that this person maybe shouldn't have the nuclear codes. Absolutely.
Well, Aoife Moore, thank you so much for updating us on all those stories. Um, we are back in business and uh, I'll talk to you next week. You may know Georgie Crawford from her years on the radio in 98FM and Spin. You may know her as the host of The Good Glow, which is a podcast which has just thousands of listeners in Ireland. Georgie, it, look, I know from personal experience, Georgie has a very special ability to kind of talk to people and um, and open people up. And uh, the stories that have been shared on her podcast are amazing. I, When I was on her podcast I did not expect to end up like bawling my eyes out and getting really deep into some, you know, particular facet of my life. But that's exactly what happened. And it's because she's she's a special person and there's just no two ways about it. I'm so fond of her. She is so sound. She is so kind and she is so generous. And I was just delighted to have the opportunity to chat to her recently about her new book, Glow. Um. Especially as someone like, you know, I'm quite cynical. Georgie is is very positive. She's really shifted kind of her perspective on the world and on life and what you can make your life into if you want to, if you're motivated to, to create change. And sometimes I can feel a little bit kind of closed and cynical about those kind of things. So... Um, I have really enjoyed reading the book and I really enjoy talking to her and I hope you enjoy it too. Here's Georgie. I listen to your podcast <laughs> every single week, Louise, and I can't believe I'm here. I suppose I've always thought you were such a thought leader and so cool. Mm. So to be sitting in my house with you and for you to put me on your podcast, I'm so grateful. Oh, Georgie. Like, I mean, it was a no brainer for me. You were so supportive and kind. I will never forget when you got in touch with me. And like, it was kind of weird that we didn't know each other because we have so much in common, obviously, with our radio background. We both very publicly experienced cancer. And like, we, I kind of saw you around, but I was like, it's I can't just go up to her and go, you had cancer and I had cancer. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's talk about it. Um, but we didn't know each other. But then when everything went down for me with Orti, you were like straight in. And, and what I loved about your message was, it wasn't, it was meaningful. It was like, what can I do? Are you starting a podcast? If you're starting a podcast, will you come on my podcast to talk about your podcast? Like it was me, it was really constructive and helpful. And it really meant a lot to me. Like it didn't feel like you were kind of, not that I didn't appreciate messages from people who were kind of, you know, just being kind, but like the fact that you were like, how can I help Louise? Mm. I could feel it. And we'd never really spoken before. I think that's something that I've learned over the last five years is mm. to reach out to people because mm. I think before in my life before cancer almost I would be afraid to reach out to someone because I'd be afraid of rejection yeah but I think I reached out to you that day and I was like oh god what if I don't hear back from her or she takes it the wrong way but I was like I know I'm being true to myself by offering this hand and yeah. I was so glad that you came back you came back to me within five minutes yeah um, and we had that amazing conversation on The Good Glow and our friendship kind of grew from there. But yeah, I think the message is always to reach out, isn't it? Yeah, I definitely think so. And I certainly feel I learned that from being sick as well, because 
when you're sick, you see, and I think anybody who goes through like a real challenge will have this experience of like, you can see people agonizing over what to say, what to do. They want to do the right thing, but they don't know what to do. And sometimes that ends up with them doing nothing. And that's kind of the worst thing. Like I, I always thought it's better to say, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do here, but I want you to know that I'm thinking of you and you know, I'm try- I'm trying. Yeah. Like I think that that's better than nothing. Yeah. And like I get messages all the time my friend is sick what should I do Mm. I'm like contact them you know make yourself known if they don't answer on Monday ring again on Tuesday drop dinners on the door buy books I remember like everyone was so kind to me when I got sick and I got sent so many flowers that one day I walked into my kitchen and this is so weird Louise but I was like am I dead (laughs) I felt like I was having this outer body experience um, because people want to help yeah. and they want to send flowers because they don't know what else to say. Yeah. But I always say drop a lasagna or yeah. buy someone a book or skincare or something that's yeah. going to help them help themselves. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, and it's that, but I think as well, what you just said there is a real, what you did when you messaged me is a real illustration of that. Like it's thinking about how you can do something that's really helpful and constructive as opposed to a kind gesture. Kind gestures, absolutely delightful we love them but like when someone actually helps you or offers to help you that's so meaningful yeah okay well we could go on about us um, (laughs) and our growing friendship forever but um I suppose you know people obviously will be aware of your podcast The Good Glow which is such a huge success um and as I said you were so kind to have me on to help me boost my own podcast when things kicked off but the reason that we're talking now is because you have published your very first book this week Glow how does it feel? It feels, it feels scary. Yeah. Uh, there was definitely a little bit of fear yesterday when I was thinking about that it's out in the world. Mm. I went off uh, for a few months and wrote this book and I was like the happiest I've ever been just mm. in my own little bubble. I love my own company. I love mm. spending time alone. And then now we're on the other side where people have to read the words that I wrote and it's out in the world. Mm. But it is, you know, just from from being a very young girl, I used to read all the time. I used to write out books into copy books. Like it was a dream come true and is a dream come true. And I hope that it helps. Mm. Like I never set out to write it for thousands of people to read like that was not my intention behind it it was literally just to write down things that I've learned along the way and hopefully it can help somebody out there yeah I think it's interesting like obviously your whole mo in the work that you do is to help people um or help people learn something or live a better or happier life is that fair is that a fair Mm -hmm. assessment Mm -hmm. um did that come from your experience with cancer or was that kind of always in you This is so weird that you're asking this question because I was thinking about this yesterday because I listened to an interview with Simon Sinek on uh, Diary of a CEO Part 2 on a flight to New York a couple of weeks ago. And in that podcast, I'd never listened to Diary of a CEO before. And Simon said, uh, well, Stephen Bart, Bart, Sorry, what's his name? Bartlett, is it? Bartlett, yeah. Yeah. Stephen Bartlett had said, oh, you know, like I have loads of friends and they need help and I try to help them, but there's only so much I can do to help them before I give up on them because, Mm. well, you know, if they're not going to help themselves, I'm not going to help them. Mm. And Simon Sinek said something that blew my mind. He said, 
Not everybody needs your help. Some people actually, instead of receiving help, need to be empowered to help other people. Mm. So very early in my journey with cancer, I wanted to encourage other people to check their breasts for lumps Mm. because my lump came out of the blue was so shocking. There was no breast cancer in my family. I wasn't breast aware. How did you notice it? I just felt it in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night? I know. And so many people find things in the middle of the night and it's the loneliest, most horrible feeling because the night is long then. Yeah. But um, so when Simon said, you know, some people don't need your help. They need to be empowered to help other people. And I think that's how I got up and faced the day Mm. in my year long treatment journey was that if I can just put good out into Mm -hmm. the world, that's going to help me have some sort of purpose in this horrible journey. Yeah. So that made me see that, yeah, I do like to help people because actually, I do find it hard to receive help. Yeah. Um, so to empower myself to 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 pass on yeah. some good vibes. I really relate to that. I remember having that feeling myself because I started writing my book um, w- w- during chemo. And I remember feeling like I need to do something useful in this time. I need this time to not just be me being sick like I need it to something has to come out of it and that was why I did the documentary that I did with Ortiz as well because I needed something to show for it um and the, the whole for me the book was very much about like trying to create something that was useful for other people and so I really relate to that and last night when we were chatting and you said you wanted because you'd never done a, an audio book and I was saying you need to do an updated version yeah because I want to hear your story all of these years later and what's changed because I think even with my book and I say it in the book the steps are ever evolving mm. the journey is ever evolving like this is how I have felt for the last six months but who knows how I'm going to feel in five more years and what more will we know about the world so um yeah I think it's important to keep an open mind always be curious yeah same for me in my cancer journey I went into my chemotherapy ward and was like I gotta learn one thing today now I sat for four hours and watched the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills New York New Jersey Mm -hmm. and that was my me time that was my I loved that time in chemotherapy but I also wanted to learn just one thing a day Mm. or you know read a bit of a book or write something down that was meaningful Mm. so I balanced it that way I think Mm. I'm interested to know because um Georgie had a really beautiful brunch yesterday in the Marion Hotel um to kind of celebrate the launch of the book and I was so happy to be there and you spoke you were talking about um Greg, why is Greg's surname gone out of my head? Greg O'Shea. Thank you, Greg O'Shea. <laughs> Jesus, like I, how many times have I met him? Greg O'Shea, who obviously a lot of people will have known originally from Love Island and now he he's done radio. He does all kinds of things now. Um, he's on the six o'clock show. Um, and you were saying that Greg had texted you and said, let's do a marathon together. And you were like, you know, your instinct was kind of to say no, but then you said, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you were like, because people you can do things if you kind of set your mind to it and stuff my brain immediately went she can do things I can't do those things and I I wonder what you think about people who are really like allergic to that kind of positivity Mm -hmm. like I'm not there Mm -hmm. but I know that there are a lot of people who find that kind of emphasis on positivity or like believing that you can do more than you're doing now really hard to process Mm -hmm. how do you you know bridge the gap to those people totally and 
So basically, when I was in, I had decided who I was very early in my life. Mm. So I was the type of person who didn't like exercise. I hated feeling cold. I didn't like to be outside. Like nature just wasn't for me. Mm. Self-help, Oprah, all of these things. I was so happy in my life. I thought that I had it completely sussed out Mm. and then when everything fell apart and all of a sudden I had time I remember sitting out in my back garden one day during chemotherapy and at this point I still had a bit of fear that the cancer may not be completely gone or I might still die you know these horrible thoughts and I thought to myself in that moment I would do anything to keep living and It was a really huge turning point in my life because I sat there and it was like I could see myself for the first time or maybe in that moment I truly loved myself Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to survive just for Jamie and Pia, my mom. I actually wanted to survive for myself. And I thought in that moment, why am I so hard on myself? Why do I beat myself up all day, every day? Why do I say such mean things about myself? Because in that moment, I could just see a really nice person who just wanted to survive. And I was like, all of those days when I was having those breakthroughs and I'd come in from the garden and I'd say, actually, I feel better. And do like being outside and actually hearing the birds singing has made me feel a little bit better and I do kind of like nature Mm. so when I started to realize all of these new things about myself I was like why was I so closed off to discovering who I am in my 30s because I kind of thought that just because you were a certain way and when you were 18 19 20 21 that you still had to be that person so I started I went on this journey and I started jogging and feeling better and connecting with all of these things and then I was like why do I count myself out of things and when I did the New York half marathon like there was a part of me that was embarrassed and I was like what have I come last but then I was thinking I look around and nobody is looking at me or Mm. is judging me and I went out and I suppose just connecting with what makes me happy and A full marathon isn't for everyone, but also not to just keep counting yourself out of things. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, that idea that we decide who we are and we put ourselves in a category. And a lot of the time in that decision, you're accepting the boundaries that have been set for you by the world based on what you've been told, say, a woman can do based on what you've been told a woman who looks like this can do or you're, you know, could be this skin color, or, you know, this kind of background or whatever. And you sometimes accept those parameters and then they become part of who you think you are. Mm. And it, yeah, I guess if you never challenge that, then you will always be that, even if you were never that to begin with. Yeah, and I think that's why when I am running through New York and feeling really awful and it's so hard for me, but also to say, whoa, look at the world that I admit I was missing out on for so many years because I just told myself I wasn't that sort of person. And 
even Louise, like going on my honeymoon to the Caribbean and standing on the shore and looking at the water and every part of my heart and soul wanted to get in and swim. Mm. But I didn't because I told myself I wasn't the type of person to get into the sea. And sometimes I feel so stupid saying these things out loud. But over the last five years through sharing my story, I realized that there's so many people like just like me. So um, that's why I wanted to write the book, just to plant seeds with people. And it's not about like huge change. It's not about going from a couch to 5K to running a marathon. Like it's not actually about any of that. Mm. It's about just connecting with who you really are and what actually makes you happy. Yeah. It's hard, isn't it, though, to kind of challenge yourself and look at your life and, you know, maybe acknowledge that you're not happy that that terrifies so many people mm. and it terrifies me as well and you know I worked in spin for 10 years and all I wanted was this job at 98 FM and I wasn't getting the job and I was beating myself up and just being so mean to myself but I thought there was only one thing that could make me happy which mm -hmm. was the job at 98 FM so I was fully focused on that I had tunnel vision mm. my mind wasn't open to anything else mm -hmm. and my last chapter is about staying open and I went in to do a corporate talk a while ago and this girl said you know I went for the promotion and I didn't get it and I'm so annoyed and what the hell am I supposed to do now and I was like well like not getting the promotion is maybe an opportunity for you to take some of your energy and time back mm. from something that isn't giving you what you need right now mm. maybe you need to invest all of that love that you wanted to give that promotion and all of that energy and time back into you and see where else it could take you. Yeah. It's really interesting because I'm like nodding my head as you're talking about your focus on 98FM. I mean, that was me for years. I was like, I want to be on Radio 1. I want to be on Radio 1. I want to be on Radio 1. And that's why I was into FM for so long. Like I... I I mean, I don't talk about this that I try not to talk about it too much because it, I don't want to be negative about, you know, a place that I was in for so long. And, you know, there's so many people there that I absolutely adore, but I was really unhappy there. Mm -hmm. I mean, for years, um, I wasn't getting the opportunities that I wanted. I wasn't able to do the kind of radio that I wanted to do. I didn't feel recognized or acknowledged. And I remember when I realized, and it was before the decision was made for me, but I remember when I realized you don't have to do this. You could do something else. You could do a podcast. You could, you know, really lean into your writing. You could lean into another area. Like you don't have to do this. And even just realizing that there was another way was kind of empowering. Now I kept going, but I was lighter because I realized that there were other options. And can you see now that that wasn't meant to be your path at that yes. time? Like, are you happier now? Oh my God, yes. Yes. Wow. A million times happier. A million times happier. Like I, I was trying really hard, I think, to fit myself as a round peg into a square hole. Mm. And it just wasn't going to happen. The hole was not round, you know. Um, and now I have created my own square hole. I'm really carrying on this <laughs> metaphor. I've created my own square hole and I, I don't have to try and, you know, appeal to everyone and I can just do my thing. And I think that's the beauty. Like, I think what we do, we have so much in common and yet I feel like we're quite different as well. Mm -hmm. But like, we can both do our thing in our way and, and really connect with people because you find 
your people. And I'm sure there's loads of crossover as well. But like, that's the beauty of podcasting is that you can just be you and do your thing and you'll find your people. Whereas in radio, you have to try and appeal to everyone. And I think that's really boring now at this point in my yeah, life. Yeah, because I, when I was sitting in, and I eventually got the job in 98FM, you know, all those years later after my cancer journey. And I was sitting at my desk looking around and I remember thinking one day I got this message from this woman who said oh I had cancer and I went on to have a baby mm. and that gave me such a pep in my step I went into the studio and the guys were like geez what are, what are you so happy about mm. I was like I just got this amazing message and it kind of cheered me up and when I was looking around the office I was like wait a minute where do women go to share their stories around mm. here you know and not just in that building but in Ireland yeah and why are women want to hear from women yeah and we we want to learn and grow from each other mm. why and I was like it was such a light bulb moment I was like I need to create a space yeah where you know we can have longer conversations than yeah. the eight minute slot on tv or radio mm. and then you haven't even gotten to the learnings or yeah. the point of you know your journey I was like I need to I need to do this um but I got so much support and I think that's what helped, yeah. really helped. And me too, me too, yeah. massively. But I suppose that's because we had already built something before we came to this, you know, like all those years that you were working, trying to get to your goal and that I was working, trying to get to my goal, like those years were not wasted, even though I didn't actually get to what my goal was and I, I found another path. You know, we were learning and building and training and, you know, building a team, like a, a community of people who were into what we do long before that time ever came. Do you know what's interesting? And Jamie was talking to me about this the other day that all of the big podcasters and um, have media training. Mm. And I think it's really interesting because I think for a lot of people, you know, uh, for sure, my experience in radio has taught me so much, especially yeah. around responsible podcasting yes. and the message. And I mean, I worked in a newsroom for 10 years and I we had to be so careful, yeah. of course, of what we were putting out. And I think that has really stood to me and you yeah. and other people um, who are podcasting, because I think people don't actually realize how much being in a newsroom and working in that environment yeah. has has taught us responsibility big and time. what we're putting out into the world yeah big time I worked in news talk that's where I started um as a researcher and then eventually a producer for a very short time um, and working in current affairs radio was like just unbelievable training yeah it really is so you mentioned there a message that you got from someone about having a baby after cancer. And I know you have been speaking about your experience with surrogacy and obviously things were kind of derailed by what happened in Ukraine, which must have been absolutely heartbreaking for you. I was um, absolutely heartbroken. We were supposed to do our embryo transfer in Ukraine on February 21st. Right. And the war broke out on the 24th. So for a couple of weeks leading up to that, Obviously, we were so concerned about what was going on in Ukraine, but everyone we were working with in Ukraine wasn't concerned. Right. So they they were kind of looking at us kind of, what are you, this isn't going to happen. Right. And I was God, watching the news scary. and Joe Biden was saying, you know, they're going to take Kiev and the Department of Foreign Affairs here were you know, getting all of the intending parents together and saying, you know, if you can pause your journey, we yeah. really strongly advise it. But 
you know, everyone in Ukraine was like, no, you you need to proceed. This isn't going to happen. So when it did happen, I think we, we and we had decided to pause our journey. There was such shock. And I think the whole world was in shock. Yeah. How, how is it 2022 and this is allowed mm. to happen? And straight away, our journey went out the window. Like I was in bed with... Jamie and Pia was safe in her bed. My family was safe. Yeah. Our thoughts immediately went to everyone in Ukraine who we had gotten to know and the welfare of them and their family. Like they were in bunkers. Yeah. It was just so hard to comprehend. That's a lot to process, big time. Mm. But you have good news that you've been sharing recently. So share it here as well. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> I'm so happy to say that, um, yeah, our surrogate is pregnant. We were matched in a different country. I think I really had to do nothing for, for six months. Yeah. I paused everything. I was like, Jamie, I can't make any decisions. I, I can't think straight. I need to stop everything. And I was speaking to Oprah's life coach, Martha Beck, on my podcast and I asked her about that I said why can't I make a decision on where to go next and she said well you're still in grief you know yeah. you can't make decisions you need to pause you need to stop you need to give yourself time so that was really great advice and we did eventually get things started again our embryos were in Slovakia they'd been taken from Kiev so the embryologist in the clinic we were with in Kiev made five trips the week the war broke out wow. to the border with everyone's embryos in the boot of his car. Oh my God, that is incredible. In Like just, I was in awe of this man and he saved all of our embryos. So um, we eventually started to look into other countries and Annette Hickey, who's our solicitor, who's just amazing. Um, really helped us get the journey back on track. And yeah, we we are, um, when this podcast is out, we'll be about 20 weeks pregnant. That is so exciting. What an exciting point of a pregnancy to be at as well. Mm -hmm. You can kind of start to enjoy it a little bit, you know, in, in getting excited about your baby coming. Do you know, do you, you know what you're having, I presume? No. Because, oh, you don't? No. Oh, wow. We didn't know the gender of our embryos. Okay. And we didn't, you know, we just said, put the strongest embryo in. <sighs> That's you know. so exciting. And so how will it work then when the time comes? Do you travel? Yes. yes. So we will travel um, and we will probably leave Ireland for about six weeks. Um, I will be in the room you know, all going well with our surrogate mother during the birth. Mm. And I just keep saying, I can't believe I'm going to have this experience with another woman. Yeah. Um. And yeah, that, that we'll go and spend time together. The four of us, Pia will be there. My mum and stepdad, Joe, will come over to help us out for, for a while, mm. you know, while we go to the hospital and things yeah. to stay with Pia. So it's really exciting. It feels unreal. Yeah. And actually, Louise, like to be pregnant, but not have the baby in my tummy. And I feel so privileged and lucky that I know what a pregnancy feels like mm. with Pia. I, I experience that. Mm. It's so different to have yeah. your baby growing in, on the on a, on the other side of the world, 
but also like it's 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 since I announced the news I feel like the baby is more within me yeah you that know makes I, sense I do feel a connection because they are our embryos that were in Ukraine and I felt such a connection to that baby that we were going to yeah. have on the 21st of February yeah. uh, in 2022 and to know that it's probably the same embryo is mind-blowing yeah I mean what a journey you've already been on together mm-hmm. and actually our embryos have been in more countries than myself and Jamie have in the last three years <laughs> You're going to have a little traveler, like a wanderlust child. Yeah. And we're going to, we're going to have like, we're going to print out all the countries and and hang it up in the nursery. If I make room in the mess to, to find a place to put a cot. There's just life. (laughs) It's not mess. I think, um, I'd love to talk to you. I hope, well, I hope I get to talk to you just as a human being after you've had this experience, because I think it's going to be so beautiful. Um, and I'm just so excited for you and so happy for you. I'm also excited about your book, baby. Um, what's one thing, like if you wanted to, if you wanted people to know one thing about this book, what is that thing? So I wrote five really short stories in the book and I, and I, they're my favorite bits of the book. So there's one, one story about the burnt potato and basically it's a metaphor for how Jamie was diagnosed with MS when Mm. we were dating and for so long our whole relationship revolved around his health not Mm. consciously we just always looked after Jamie you know he was in inverted commas the sick one Mm. even though you know he was well and thriving so um, the burnt potato is about how whenever I would make the dinner and there was a burnt bit of the dinner I'd eat it right because I tell myself I'll survive I'll be grand and I think as women we want everyone else to have a great experience our kids our partners you know our wider family so if there is a burnt bit of the lasagna or the roast potatoes we put that bit on On our plate and we say oh we'll be grand we'll survive yeah and I did that for 10 years and when I got sick I remember thinking how actually when I stop and think about it how did I expect to survive Like I was running on empty for Mm. years. My main focus was keeping Jamie well, not myself. So there is a little short story in Glow about the burnt potato and how I don't eat the burnt bit of food anymore because I don't want Pia to eat the burnt bit Mm. of food. I want to break the cycle Mm. because my mum is such a giver, full of love, amazing woman. And she ate the burnt bit of the dinner for Mm. so many years. So, yeah, I just want people to see that we do need to, we are precious. And like that moment I had in the garden where I truly loved myself to actually stop, get off the madness, Mm. like the cycle, the roller coaster and just stop for a minute and say, actually, I love myself or do I love myself? How can I find a way to love myself? And actually, I'm worthy of more than the burnt bit of food. I love that. Georgie Crawford, (laughs) thank you so much. Thank you so much. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. 
With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Now, lots of Irish stuff to talk about this week. Is Patrick Keelty, the new host of The Late Late Show, could... Kat Dealey be also hosting it with him? What happened with Eurovision? What do we need to do? And is Euphoria actually coming to film in Dublin? I investigated all of these and more with the wonderful James O'Hagan, who, as you know, if you listen regularly, is LGBT activist and uh, absolute gas man. James O'Hagan, what a dream to have you back. Thank you for coming into my germ-ridden home. We have all the windows <laughs> open. The sick people are in a different room. I think we're going to be okay. I think so. We're, we're following um, the, the, best re- the best regulations we can vis-a-vis COVID. Windows open, lots of space. Like in fairness, if COVID gave us, I think COVID did give us some stuff. And one thing is I would not have thought about opening windows and space and all that kind of crap. No, I was just thinking that it's like, it's something that it certainly has given you more pause for thought and also much more of an awareness of the impact of being sick on other people. Mm -hmm. So like, if you are kind of not feeling well, but you're stressed, you won't go into work because you're like, oh, I don't want to pass it on in a way that you just wouldn't have a few years ago. You'd have been like, what? You got my cold. Sorry. Sucks to be you. Yeah. We didn't really, we didn't really (laughs) think about that stuff. It's funny, isn't it? Um, Okay, we've got lots of showbiz to talk about this week and actually lots of Irish stuff, which is great. I always love it when that happens. Um, Let's start with the Eurovision. Oh, I mean, I I am, this week, I am sacrificing myself on the altar of Eurovision. It is gay Christmas, the Mm -hmm. most amazing time of the year to be a homosexual in this world. And it is just one of those times that, I, I mean... I remember the 90s so clearly and like it kind of it was so cliche like we were kind of joking about like oh you know you know back here an annual event Eurovision in Dublin we since the millennium have failed to make any sort of an impact and it is such a pity to see especially great artists not getting some recognition that they deserve but yes this week in Liverpool, hosting on behalf of Ukraine, um, Eurovision will be taking place and Ireland in the Tuesday um, semi-final fails to make the cut. Wild Youth with a brilliant song, We Are One. Well, a little bit of a generic song, but I enjoyed it anyway. The performance was fantastic. I felt that they definitely, they definitely deserved a spot in that final. It was such a tough semi-final though. The songs in semi-final one were probably going to make up the bulk of the top 10 of the uh, the, the competition overall. Right. And so they were vying for like one or two places, but I really felt on the night watching it that the energy in the in the, in the the room, that the sort of the reaction on Twitter felt like it was flowing behind us. So it was a real pity that we didn't get over the line. Well, I have a friend, Donald Mulligan, who was on Morning Ireland discussing this this week. He is 
I mean, I mean, like, I don't know anyone who knows more or cares more about yeah. Eurovision than Donald. <laughs> um, and he felt like the song wasn't good enough. He feels like the song selection process isn't good enough, that we're not approaching it in the right way. Oh, okay, yeah. So there's there's a whole different, I think it's, it's kind of, um, there's two conversations. There's the national supporter conversation of in the throes of the competition right now, where you're yeah. looking across the range of songs that were present, the 15 songs that were in the, in the, the semifinal on, on, on Tuesday. We definitely weren't in the top kind of eight or nine, but mm-hmm. I certainly felt that we could have had a place in the final against some of the other sort of right. less great songs. But we are not investing in trying to make this a competition that we want to do well in. We are relying on a kind of an idea of ourselves as being kind of, you know, Billy Big Balls or whatever the, the mm. frame is from like back in the, the 80s and 90s where we did like trying to competition. But the reality is, is that at that time, no one was putting in a huge amount of effort with the music that they were sending. There was right. no real thought being put into it, as far as I'm aware. That has changed now. And yeah. Eurovision is an industry in yeah. some of these places. Places like Sweden and Finland are putting in so much effort to picking great songs all around Europe. There mm. are people, there, it, is, it is a jewel in the crown. And where that kind of like effort, the, the, the rising tide of effort that's been put in around, around Europe to, to, cre- to get songs mm. isn't being matched here. And I think it's it's sort of a hallmark of the fact that we don't necessarily value the arts and we yeah. don't see it like we're, we're, we're not seeing it as something that's important because investing in Eurovision isn't like throwing money away at a stupid competition. It's investing in the music industry here. Yeah. It's building the, the, the sort of the foundations of what will like building on top of a terrific foundation of already existing sort of artists here in the country. So it would be great to see us really sit down and have a think about what we can do going forward to try and actually build something into, like, build something into how we pick the Eurovision songs that actually benefits artists all around the country. Yeah, because like you know, people are. It's not a joke. Like I think some people still have it in their head as a joke, but like I mean, look at a band like Maniskin. Like I mean, they are world famous like having huge success a very serious bond in terms of people you know appreciating their music completely and I think that it's it Eurovision has gone through a couple of phases over the years I kind of I think if you when you get into like the early noughties like it was a bit more gimmicky Mm. it was probably kind of a bit more Euro trash kind of kind of vibe to it but that certainly has changed and you're absolutely right like you only have to look at the competition this year say Laureen back from Sweden again kind of coming into the competition she is my favourite Eurovision song Euphoria I think maybe ever I mean, it, it ha- since since she performed that, I think it was 10 years ago in Azerbaijan, she, or maybe 11 years ago in Azerbaijan, she oh won with Euphoria. It has so been, old. since, since like, that has been the best, that is the best song. Yeah. <laughs> and if, and she is likely to take the, she is, I'd say, one of one of the, the, the two big frontrunners. She has been the, like, overwhelming frontrunner since the big, since it was announced that she was going to be performing at Finland with Cha 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 by Karija. I might be saying the name incorrectly there, have kind of, like, come up to, 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 to be sort of uh, pitted against her for number one. But if she wins, that draws them even with us. It draws Sweden even with us in terms of wins. And also knocks Johnny Logan's uh, kind of record as being the only person to win mm. twice out the window. <laughs> yeah, so we will certainly not be Billy Big, then okay no. well we'll just have to wait and see what happens there um i think a, a lot of people are pointing the finger at rte as well and saying yeah. why are rte in charge of are all uh, the individual kind of national broadcasters is that who's in charge no so it, it it seems as like it seems as if around europe there's lots of different ways that this is done and a lot of times it is done through like national selection processes mm. but the national selection process that exists sort of separate to any other aspect of like the like the national 
national broadcaster or whoever's doing okay. it. So it is kind of like, say, you have like a, an entire kind of months-long selection process of festival that goes on to yeah. select the, the, the person who's going to represent Sweden. What's it called? Felestimoden or something? Melodenfest. Melodenfest, yeah. And it, it, it is something that like, I suppose there's just so much time and effort into. Like we kind of give this like a corner on a late, late show mm-hmm. once a year. And that's not an appropriate way to do this. Mm. Because, you know, like even when you're watching that sort of like it, it the audience is so mixed for that it's yeah. such like it's such a throwaway part of a show it's like we're going to have this bit but then we're also going to go over and talk to a guest or something like it yeah it doesn't allow the songs to really speak for themselves uh, personally i think what we need to do is stop trying to create songs that we think will appeal to eurovision yeah and start just trying to make bops that actually we want to listen to here ourselves yeah that sounds like a good strategy. Okay, moving on, but uh, staying with the late, late, uh, rumor is Patrick Keelty is going to be taking over the program. Honestly, I have to say, this has made me excited to potentially watch the Late Late Show yeah. in a way that I really just ha- haven't, I yeah. would say, ever been, like yeah. since Gay Byrne was hosting the Toy Show. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so obviously... Ryan stepped down, there was sort of an enormous focus on whether they were going to go the direction of bringing in a woman to host, but sort of our three, we would say, major candidates, uh, Miriam O'Callaghan, Claire Byrne and and Sarah McInerney have all like stepped back or kind of said, look, we want to stay in the roles we're in. So that's kind of opened the playing field again. And there has been lots of different names in in the sort of mix. We've seen Tommy Tiernan, we've seen Mm. Brendan O'Connor. And I feel like Patrick Kilty kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. But earlier this week... In a, I would say, very leading yes. response <laughs> to uh, to a question on the IFTA red carpet himself, and Kat, like, why was he at the IFTAs? Why were they at I was the IFTAs? I was like, what is Cat Dealy doing yeah. at the IFTAs? I was like, to me, <laughs> the fact that they were there was like, okay, well, this is happening. Completely. That's exactly what I thought. I thought this this is sealing the deal. This mm. is them kind of arriving back in and kind of, you know, showing their faces. And I actually think the best thing about this is that he is someone from outside of our kind of media ecosystem. I totally of. agree. I, I think it is some part, like I was thinking about this yesterday. I was like, as an alternative to him, someone like maybe Dermot O'Leary would be an interesting person to yeah. think of as well. Someone who has kind of existed outside of the bubble that we have here. And also like with Patrick Kilty. You know, Brendan, Brendan O'Connor, divisive enough figure. Same with Tommy Tiernan. Both of them have their skills one way or another. Well, also, I just think it would have been foolish. Why would you take Tommy from his incredibly yes. successful program? Why would you sacrifice, or like, from Ortiz's perspective? Exactly. And obviously, I will never know yeah. why they do what they do. <laughs> but like, if you have a very successful program, it wouldn't make any sense no. to sacrifice that in order to save another program. Keep the winner and no, then completely. build another one, hopefully. But, but but also, I think that you need for the late, like, you need someone who's an incredibly well-rounded host. Yes. And I feel like you know, with Brendan O'Connor and with Tommy Tiernan, that they have amazing strengths, but they do also have weaknesses. Whereas mm-hmm. Patrick Kilty seems to have that sort of entirety. So he can yeah. do the light fluff. He can be very kind of comedic and funny in that mm-hmm. kind of opening monologue kind of way. He is an incredibly thoughtful speaker and yeah. can be like the incredibly powerful and sort of like very tough issues. Yeah, very I articulate, very, very smart. articulate, very compassionate, empathetic. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that it is very exciting for the Late Late Show yeah. that, that this is like potentially, we fingers crossed, we feel it's all a done deal. Um, yeah. I, I did see that there was some sort of suggestions to perhaps there was going to be a, a, a double up of like sort of Richard and Judy, Nick and Vanessa Lachey <laughs> yeah. style thing with Kat Dealey. No. Not for me. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> but I think um, the fact that like she was asked 
this is in the mirror, the Irish, Irish mirror.ie. The notion of Kat joining Patrick on the job was fueled last weekend when she said, let's see if we can get it first. We can talk about that then. Mm-hmm. Like, excuse me? <laughs> I have to say the biggest shock for me of all of this was that Kat and uh, Patrick are still together. They think you've been married for, for, for years. Ever. I kind of just assumed, I don't know, I hadn't, I obviously hadn't thought about them, but I, I did not realize that they'd been together for so long. They've been married for 11 years. But they, they were, they were dating for a long time yeah. before that as well, because for I, I feel like he has been with her since almost a CDUK date. It's a long time. Yeah. It is. So that's impressive. I mean, always impressive. I, I mean, I think that, and that just stands to the, the, the fact that he's obviously a really great guy. Yeah. You know? And obviously the marriage <laughs> is in like, you know, good shape because she wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought she would have been there with him if, you know, if it wasn't. Yeah, no. So like, good for them. Happy for them. No, absolutely. And that could be exciting as well for celeb spotters. Kat Dealey may be spotted meandering around a, a Donnybrook fair near you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I, I feel I'm happy with this. If this is what happens, I feel like it's a good, it's a good shout. I, the, the other thing is I, I don't feel like Patrick Hilty is someone who'll settle into the job like no. Ryan or Gay or Gay Byrne or, or, or Pat Kenny did for a long period of time. So I think that this is going to be a holdover. And RTE, not famously good at doing this, but would be great to use this period of time to actually reflect on what the show could be. Yes. If it's going to represent the entire country, if it's going to be that like jewel in the crown. Or maybe even develop some other new talent. This is Wouldn't exactly it. Wouldn't it be great if there, we didn't have three women? Yeah. And then, I mean, I know like Jen Zamparelli's name was in the mix and Angela Scanlon, but like, again, like, you know, it's such a tricky job. You really need to be able to do yeah. the serious along with the kind of less serious. And not that I'm saying that they couldn't, maybe they would have excelled at it. But like, you know, you're talking about an extremely small pool of women yeah. to, to grab from, even just from the p- perspective of broadcasters available. Completely. So yeah, I personally, you know, look, I'll just be honest. I think Orti are absolutely terrible at developing young talent. Yeah. Like, you know, my experience there, and I know obviously things went sour for me, but like, I remember at one stage there was a sign up and it was like, give us your feedback about talent development. And I was like, there's none. Like, there's none. No, like, there's no work being done. There's no plan for, you know, every once in a while there's a new favorite. They get all the work. I'm not saying that those people aren't good, but like, you know, for the most part, as someone who was there for 11 years, Mm -hmm. you know, no one was thinking about what my skills were and what I might have to offer. I was banging on doors constantly. And I know I'm not the only one, like, obviously, that's just my experience. But I know that for other people, it was the same. I mean, even look at, I'll be frank, I I don't care anymore. Look (laughs) at Dave Fanning. Yes. Like, Dave Fanning has such a pedigree such incredible skill such a special thing to offer in terms of what he does no it's not what ryan tuberty does and it would never be what ryan tuberty does but dave has something else that's very special and years of experience and so much archive and they didn't know what to do with him yeah no they didn't know what to do with him and that's such a waste yeah and i just think you know really and I'm, you know, there's a new director general going into RTE and it would be great to see maybe things changing in that regard because, you know, RTE have got to change it up if they're going to stick around. No, and I think that this goes back to what we were saying about Eurovision as well and that like there isn't a focus on developing talent. There isn't a focus on like creating a next generation. And I, I fear yeah. that like one of the 
the issues now, particularly as we're more of an influencer culture, is that they're not going to bother doing that because they'll just pick from the tree of people who like build their own fan bases or yeah. become. I mean, and I think we've that, seen it. We've, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's fine because like these people who have built their own fan bases are obviously likable. They yeah. are obviously the sort of people that 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 are going to kind of you know do incredibly well in these roles, and it's fantastic for them to get the opportunities. But RT also needs to be building in from the ground up a way yeah. for people to kind of you know break into the media or yeah. to build the skills to be part of the media so that we don't end up with say someone like Graham Norton in the future sort of you know a, a, someone who is a terrific Irish host and amazing yeah. comedian and like they're sort of having you know, that sort of same thing of like the exodus to go elsewhere if you want to be able to yeah, think, well I mean even if you think about like an Angela Scanlon like Angela has a program now which is great but like you know would she have had that program if she hadn't gone to the UK and started presenting programs for the BBC and other broadcasters? Who knows? Yeah, no. we, it's the same old story. Anyway, look, <laughs> I feel I feel like like deeply uncomfortable talking about it because I'm so aware of the fact that obviously I have my own kind of you know experience, mm. which you know does impact my feelings. But like I also because I have that experience, I do have some insight, and I just think they've really got to change things up. They do. Okay, now this is absolutely wild. <laughs> just I'm like this story. I, I, I euphoria, I, not the Lorene song, not the Lorene song for the for the. But euphoria is one of those shows that is like entirely sort of passing by. I obviously love Zendaya with yeah. every fiber of my being. Oh, because, you should watch it. It's so good. Okay, I, I have I have heard that from enough people whose opinions I trust. No, that it's I'm like, really okay. really good. It's really good, even just from the perspective of the way it's made, the music, the visual, the styling. Like it's so good. I watched the first season when Ted was a baby in like literally in the middle of the night. Like as I was feeding him, yeah. I um, accessed it on the internet <laughs> through somewhat nefarious means. So I had it on my laptop, and I, I just so. And when you when you've watched the show, you'll know that it's the kind of show that actually kind of suits watching it in a fever dream in the middle of the night. And <laughs> um, but it's so good. But it's quite, it's going to be filming in Dublin. What the hell? Uh, so I I was reading about this, and so Copperface Jacks and the Long Haul are mooted as being two potential locations for filming of an upcoming season. Meaning that Zendaya, Sydney Sweeney, Maud Apatow would be all sort of you know knocking around uh, some of these Dublin hotspots. Uh, the the Long Haul have kind of issued a statement on that to basically say we haven't heard anything but yeah. the owner or, or the, the manager's uh, children are massive Zendaya fans so uh, if if they are he'd totally be open to it and Copperface Jacks went so far as to to put a post up on Instagram kind of you know with a, a photoshopped image of the cast of, well of, of course of, they did of, of, uh, of, of Euphoria sitting there surrounded by a bucket of beers and you know I we famously love when famous people come here to do things you only need to look at the crowds of people running after the housewives when they were here to yeah. film uh, film a, a, a year ago or whatever it was I, I mean I love it I yeah. think it's really fun and just to be <laughs> clear like the what this came from I can't find it now obviously but um what this came from was I am no I can't find it I, IMDB pro basically within IMDB the, the obviously the film information <clears throat> excuse me website there was like a filming note with all the locations that had been registered for various programs and georgia street specifically was apparently referenced within this filming note so it's not it hasn't come from nowhere but um but wow yeah, I mean, who knows? I think Kilmainham Jail was also, no, like... That's a very kind of classic kind of, you know, you're coming here for a, yeah. you know, a kind of an education. I mean, the Guinness Storehouse, maybe they'll hit there up, get into Temple Bar, go to Carol's, buy themselves like a an Aaron sweater. Or like a tricolour hat, <laughs> yeah. Hat, exactly. I don't know. One of those leprechaun hats, gorgeous. I actually find it a bit, I, I didn't love when the housewives were here, uh, 
the Jersey Housewives. I didn't love it when they were here. It made me feel uncomfortable. People kept telling me where they were and I was kind of like, oh God, like, <laughs> no, I, I, I can't. It just felt wrong. I kind of was like, I don't think I want to see them in real life. Now I've interviewed since then, I've interviewed Marge from the Real Housewives of New Jersey and I've interviewed Kyle Richards, I met her and stuff. And like, that was okay. But there's something about them being in our space. And then even when I was watching it, the episodes I was like oh I don't like it like I don't want my real life I don't want people I could bump into in this like you know world that is so separate to mine and I I think that's kind of part of it with the say with the that sort of like massive constructed reality tv it's like it's like this is so removed from my life I watch this to escape yes my life exactly like seeing them like on Dawson Street rolling at a cafe on Seine you're a little bit like that's too close to home well like the day (laughs) after I watched the episode of them in cafe on Seine I went to an event in cafe on Seine and I was like well I might as well order the watermelon (laughs) highball or whatever it's called the drink that I, I can't remember who'd ordered it the previous night and I was like this is just wild um okay finally let's talk about this absolutely <laughs> hilarious and uh, <laughs> wild story about the coronation i i mean the the only story that matters <laughs> i agree, <laughs> that, agree. The, the uh that, that 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 show last weekend was and this is one, first and foremost we never want to to sort of ever be understood to like passing comment in, in any sort of way on, on an individual's appearance but this particular individual had the audacity to look basically just a, a large newspaper with two eye holes shut out uh, <laughs> short of a Bugs Bunny disguise <laughs> but so spotted sitting beside Andrew Lloyd Webber at the uh, coronation last weekend was a sort of a uh, mysteriously dressed individual who people online began to suggest was potentially the uh, Duchess of Sussex Meghan Markle who had gotten into disguise to sneak in to have a look to go to the party um, there were suggestions across the internet that she may have been there to steal the crown jewels that she was there to <laughs> keep an eye on Harry to make sure he was wasn't getting too close oh. to Wilson. But it was in fact a composer from Wales called Sir Carl Jenkins, who is a walking guess who character yeah. with glasses, shaggy hair and moustache and an oversized shirt. He released a lovely TikTok uh, yeah. at Carl Jenkins official if you want to have a look at him. <laughs> but it is just, if you want to properly laugh, look at the image of this man sitting next to Andrew Lloyd Webber and imagine to yourself it is Meghan Markle sitting there in disguise. It is so funny because like initially when I saw I, I, I didn't watch the coronation shocking um, I was what was I doing? I was doing something else um, if I'd been at home I probably would have stuck it on um, but he I saw someone making a comment about the fact that he looked like he was in disguise nothing about Meghan Markle and he really does the particular image he's wearing like he has this like long kind of shaggy grey hair a big moustache sungla- tinted sunglasses he looks like to me he looks like Deck from Anton Deck yes in a, in a, in a, in a prank sketch yes. yeah exactly but then the Meghan Markle of it all like just t- really elevated I, it to another level I have to I did I was not planning to watch the coronation mm-hmm. I was planning to completely avoid it but mm-hmm. then my partner discovered that Katy Perry was there so Ah. we had to watch every frame of it to see if she could be spotted because he is the most massive Katy Perry fan in the entire world I mean it's good she has one I was just gonna say they (laughs) exist no I have to I have to say one of my favorite 
like I, I've watched Katy Perry's documentary probably more than many other it's music, the best documentaries. Of those music documentaries. It is so good. Yeah, it's it is. so good. If you haven't seen it, I think it's called Peace. What's it called? I was going to say Peace of Me. No, that's Britney Spears. Katy Perry doc. See, I think when it comes part to of me. part of me, I think when it comes to Katy Perry, particularly around the documentary, it's like my enemy's enemy is my friend, and mm. I hate Russell Brand more. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you haven't seen it i really would recommend it she's on tour um in 2012 wow i know um, god i'm so old and um, she's on tour in 2012 and it's like around the time of her marriage with russell brown breaking down and he does not come across well. he does not um and she's just really raw and it's really moving there's this unbelievable scene where she's in brazil i think and she's about to go up. You know how they often, pop stars often come up on like a they platform like the from the middle thing, yeah. of the stage and she's bawling. And then they're like, okay, like one minute. And she, and you watch her literally pull herself together, put on a smile and pop out of that stage and do a pop concert. It's it's really good. No, Highly recommend. Part Absolutely. Of I might watch. I might give my treat myself I think to treat another yourself. watch. Watch that, watch that today. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I will. Well, James O'Hagan, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here in this house of germs. <laughs> um, and I uh, will talk to you again soon. Thank you very much. Now it is just about time for me to go but thank you so much for being with me let me remind you once again that uh the number if you want to send me a voice note with feedback on this episode or any episode or indeed ask a question or whatever it is you would like to share with me 089-209-6423 is the number that's 089-209-6423 I'll be recording a new uh, mailbag episode for the patreon on monday where I'll respond to all of those voice notes so do send them in before I go, though, recommendations, I actually managed to consume some culture. Can you believe? I mean, also, by the way, oh, my God, I am just I just watched the latest episode of Vanderpump Rules. And oh, my God. I have so much to say. I need to find a place for it. Like I need to, I have so many thoughts and opinions. I'm really trying to figure out, might do a special episode, might do a Patreon episode about Vanderpump Rules after the finale airs or maybe something around the reunions. Like I have so many feelings. I also have a lot of feelings about what's going on in Summer House at the moment. Um, in the whole, when it comes to Danielle and Lindsay, I am, my, my, Sympathies are mostly with Danielle, and I know that there will be those of you who disagree with me, but I, I have so many opinions. So yeah, it's good to be caught up there. I also watched a gorgeous series on Disney Plus called Tiny Beautiful Things. Um, so Tiny Beautiful Things is based on a book by Cheryl Strayed, who you may know. She uh, is the person who was at the center of that book, Wild, which became the Reese Witherspoon film. Um which I absolutely loved. I had to say, I have to say, it's um, it's about this woman who is kind of going through a rough patch, and she hikes along the Pacific Coast Highway in America, and kind of figures herself out along the way. Um, and that is Cheryl Strayed is the central character. It's based on her um, autobiographical book, and this series was also produced by Hello Sunshine, which is um, Reese Witherspoon's production company, and. It is about another kind of portion of, you know, Cheryl Strait's life, although it's not about Cheryl Strait specifically, but it's kind of rooted in that. Sorry, I feel like I'm banging on. But anyway, 
when I heard about it, I was like, oh, do well, am I going to like this? Am I going to be into it? But then I heard that Catherine Hahn was in it. And Catherine Hahn is such an amazing actor. She was in Transparent. She's been in loads and loads of things, but she hasn't tended to be like the main central character, even though she is so brilliant. Um, she's in Bad Moms. She's in WandaVision. She's in The Glass Onion. She's she's brilliant. And she is the central character in this series, Tiny Beautiful Things. And I absolutely loved it. I cried a lot watching it. I just like couldn't, I just kept crying. <laughs> and, and it's not that it's like particularly, like I didn't feel like it was like manipulative in the way that say something like Grey's Anatomy is sometimes, which I also watched some of last week. Um, I just found it was a very kind of accurate look at a certain stage of womanhood. Um, and yeah, I loved it. I loved it. It's about someone who is starts uh, writing an advice column um, as her own life is essentially falling apart. And I would highly recommend it. As I said, it is on Disney Plus. It's called Tiny Beautiful Things. And um, I loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Anywho, I've banged on enough. I feel like this is going to be, I haven't, I'm recording this obviously before I edit it all together, but I feel like this could be an old one hour 20. And you know what, guys? <laughs> I recorded two other interviews for the podcast over the over the course of the last week and um, they are good ones. They are really good ones that I think you guys are going to be excited about, but they're also long. So look, it's just the way, it's just the way things are at the moment. I mean, sometimes you just need to talk to someone for half an hour. Um, anyway, I'm going to go. Don't forget the Patreon is there. The link is in the bio, but it's patreon.com forward slash catch up with Louise McSharry. I will be back with you next week. Thank you so much to ACAST for having me on the network and to all my wonderful contributors. I hope you have a great week, but of course they can't all be good. So if you can't have a great week, just put one foot in front of the other and I will talk to you next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.